The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au. That's www.noblebaptist.org.au. Beginning at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together with God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with all they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full mem- number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what they sold, was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as it had, as that any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostle Bar- Barnabas by means of sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Loving Father, again, as we come with the word of God open before us, we seek now for your help. Father, we know, as the scripture teaches us, that apart from the Lord Jesus' help, we can accomplish nothing. And so, Father, now as we would look to the scriptures to glean and grasp a message not from the heart of man, but from the mind of God, Father, we plead with you for your help this morning. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 4 of the book of Acts has been all about opposition. We considered on July 28th that ungodly men cannot stop a godly witness. Godliness is how we stand firm against opposition. Last Sunday, we considered the church's response to opposition with prayer to our sovereign, creating, speaking, predestining, all-seeing, hearing, and answering God. We pray for perseverance to endure. But what has this opposition done to the church? How has it affected it? What is the condition of the Jerusalem church having faced its first round of opposition? Luke gives us in chapter 4, verses 31 to 37, a summary of the church's condition. What do we see? 
We see a body of believers where all are praying for one another in verse 24. We see a body where all are filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 31, where all are speaking the word of God with boldness in verse 31. We see a church where all have single heart and a soul in unity. There's a unity in the church in verse 32. The apostles themselves are continuing with power to testify to Jesus' resurrection in verse 33. And the whole church are receiving and displaying God's great grace among them in verse 33. It's a church where all are selflessly giving to meet the needs of one another in verses 32 and then 34 all the way to verse 37. His summary describes the condition of the church as a healthy, active, living body of Christ. The shaking or the earthquake that's mentioned in verse 31 was a momentary, miraculous event to reassure them of God's presence with them. It happened then and it it could happen again, but there's no guarantee, no promise of it. What message does this passage, this summary description, impart to us? In a sense, it acts like a spiritual health checkup. Luke's summary of the church sets a standard by which we can measure ourselves to see how we're doing. Are we a healthy, living, active body of Christ or not? Is God's presence among us moving us and compelling us to respond to him and to each other and to our mission field in ways that please him? Or are we just going through the motions? It is immensely possible to be an active, conservative, biblical church and yet to be totally devoid of God's leading, his presence and his influence amongst us. When the form of worship becomes more important than the one we are worshiping, it's already happening. When we do evangelism and ministry more because we know it's what we're supposed to do than because we love our Lord so much that we simply want to do it. We want, we cannot help ourselves to share Christ and share the love and grace of God with each other. It's definitely happening when the local church more closely resembles a wealthy golf and country club where its members sit around, sip tea, and talk about the good old days. It's happening when a church service more closely resembles a nightclub than the gathering of the body of Christ to worship God. It's happening. This absence of God's leading and influence and influencing presence can happen in a thriving, modern, hip church just as surely as it can happen in a conservative, traditional church. Both forms of the church are totally susceptible to the departure of the leading, guiding, moving presence of God's Holy Spirit among us, among them. Every single one of us Because the church is made up of individual members. So every single one of us are totally susceptible to departure from living devoted to God in prayer. From living under the ever-increasing influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. From living under God's grace. From living motivated by God's love to love and serve and give. 
A church was never designed by God to be totally static, stationary, unchanging. The church was designed to be a living, growing, evolving organism. Every seven years, I found this out recently, every seven years, every single cell in your physical body has died and is replaced with a new cell. So the person that you are now is not the physical person that you were eight years ago. It's all completely changed. So also local bodies of Christ are to be in that same process of change in appearance and composition. New disciples are to come in, to be made and brought in, trained up, raised up, equipped, built, and to put to work in active ministry. Whether those disciples are doctors or lawyers or pastors or accountants or engineers or mums or dads, whatever their vocation may be, Disciples coming in, growing, involved in ministry. Christ's body, like all bodies, is to be a living, active, moving thing. One thing that strikes me as I read the stories of effective, impacting churches, both in Scripture and in the history of the church, is that they were alive. They were moving. They had a strong sense of urgency, of shortened time, of much great work still left to be done. And so the question that came to mind as I studied and thought and considered this description of the church in Acts 4 is, are we living, functioning, and worshiping as a healthy church like the one described here in Acts chapter 4? How can we know if we are or not? We take a biblical spiritual health checkup. I hate going to the doctor. Okay. My wife just, <laughs> she smiled. I love Paul Shire. He's a great guy. I would happily go for coffee with him. I would play golf with him if I could actually play golf. But going into his office to let him poke and prod and look and, and cough and turn your head and all this other stuff that you're supposed to do when you go to the doctor, I'm not interested in it. I will fake pure health as long as I can get away with it to avoid going to a doctor. You don't believe me? Ask Heather. She'll tell you it's true. But we need to go to a doctor once in a while to have a checkup. How's your blood pressure? How's your heart doing? How's your cholesterol? How's this? How's that? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt there? All that stuff. And as a church, it's necessary once in a while for us to stop and step back and take a look through the lens of Scripture and allow the great physician of our souls to examine and to show us and allow us to see under the influence of the Spirit of God how we are doing. So what's the condition of Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church? Before I start down the checkup list, I want us to all, I want you to know and remember some things as we go through this. Unlike a physical checkup in a doctor's office where some things are irreversible and can only be managed and maintained, I want us to be encouraged because whatever we may find, however the Spirit of God pokes you, like He poked me repeatedly as I worked on this yesterday afternoon and most of the day, Whatever we find, because of God's grace, because of the Spirit of God that is living and active within us, it can be changed. God is in the business of finishing the work that He started in each of us. 
God's Holy Spirit is present, living, and active within every true believer. God's Word guarantees it. God's grace is present and immensely available to all. Everything that was happening in the early New Testament church, with the exception of the apostles amongst us, is possible here and now today because God has not changed. No, we don't have the apostles among us as they did. But then they didn't have the inspired, completed, compiled New Testament as we do. So we have the tremendous advantage of the completed canon of Scripture before us that they didn't have. It was still being developed. It's a shocking thing to think about. 300 plus years of the church existed without a recognized, completed New Testament canon. And God was powerfully working and moving through them. We have the completed canon of Scripture. God has given us everything we need that we might live and function as a New Testament church. We have the Spirit of God within us. We have God's grace upon us. And we have the completed Word of God in front of us. So let's have a look. Question number one, it's on your note sheet. Are we a praying body of believers? And we looked at this in one aspect last week in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 30. Their first priority in response to the report of opposition was prayer. They prayed for boldness to continue. The church in the book of Acts is one that is saturated with prayer. In Acts chapter 1, they were devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happened most likely in the midst of a prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 6, the leaders devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts 4 here, they're praying together about opposition. In Acts 10, what are we described? Cornelius was a man devoted to prayer. In Acts chapter 11, Peter received revelation about the Gentile inclusion. When did he receive it? In the midst of individual private prayer. In Acts chapter 12, when Peter is arrested, he sleeps while they gather late at night to pray. In Acts 14, the elders are appointed in the churches, accompanied with much prayer. In Acts 16, the gospel is first announced in Europe. And where do they do it? At a prayer meeting. I think I might have told you one of my profs in school got to go over and stand in what is most likely the spot in Philippi on that riverbank where they were gathering that day for prayer. And Paul comes walking up to all these women that are praying. And he had a young pastor friend with him. And he said his pastor friend was so broken by the standing in that scene. He lifted up his head and he shouted out in Greek, Yesu Christu Kuryu Estin, which is pronounced properly, but whatever. And it was the words, Jesus Christ. Christ is Lord. In that moment, he wept as he stood there in that spot. The gospel was announced in Europe for the first time at a prayer meeting. Paul's example to the church in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 6, Philippians 1, Colossians 4, and so on, was his life of continual prayer in the Spirit. But you know what? Above and beyond all of that, Our Lord Jesus Christ's example to us was prayer. Early in the morning, late at night, all night, in difficulty or not, Jesus Christ is the God-man who prayed. 
Prayer brings revival. God, as we said last week, uses and predestines prayer to change the course of history. The physical human body uses the intricate nervous system to exchange information to and from our brains up here to millions of internal and external points and places, messages going shooting back and forth all the time that you are living. It's a compelling picture of what prayer from body to head should look like. The early New Testament church were devoted to and dependent on prayer. God's presence with them was evidenced by their devotion to prayer. And so the hard question, brother and sister in Christ, how is our prayer life? I'll be honest. Sitting in there yesterday in my office working through this, the Spirit of God's finger pointed into my chest more than once. What about you? You're supposed to set the example for them. But brother and sister, it isn't just the leadership of a church that's devoted to prayer. They were all devoted to prayer. Is prayer that activity we do because it's our religious duty? Or is prayer as vital to us as breathing? The sin of prayerlessness is the root problem. It emptied us, empties us of spiritual strength and robs us with fellowship with God. Some believers in churches are so disconnected from Christ that they look like headless chickens running around crashing into things. Brothers and sisters, we've been called to be a people of prayer. But praise God, there's a remedy. Prayerlessness can be resolved. How, you say? Pray. It's not that tough. I love the fact that the answer is so simple and so easy. Pray. Begin with a confession of prayerlessness. Cry out to God for His Spirit to lead you, to lead us in prayer. And God's Spirit will lead as we pray. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you there have been a few times in my life when in prayer I begin to pray and I just hear the Spirit, not audible voice, but He begins to lay one thought, one person, one after another, after another, after another. And before you know it, time has gone by and He's leading and guiding me through that time of prayer. And the fellowship that you enjoy in those moments is so special and so sweet. God's grace is available to draw us close and lift our hearts into the throne room of Almighty God to hear His voice. Brothers and sisters, are we a praying body of believers? But you know, Brother Brian made a very good point this morning. Look at Christ. Fasten your eyes on Jesus Christ. We become like those we focus on. Looking to Christ, seeing Him, seeing His glories. Look at His life. Look at the way He lived. And as we begin to follow behind Him, we'll discover after time that we begin to look like and talk like and act like Him because our focus is all on Him. The answer is is in part to strive, but it's also a part in faith and in grace to look to Him for the example and follow as He leads. Look to Christ. Secondly, are we a Spirit-filled body of believers? Notice what Paul, Luke sorry, says in verse 31. 
says, when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is not speaking of a second baptism with the Holy Spirit. We do not believe that. The Scripture does not hold or teach such a thing. This is speaking about an increase in the generous supply of the Spirit to the believer, an increased influence. It means that the Holy Spirit residing in them as believers in Christ had an increase in influence in each of them. The only illustration, I've used it before, but it's the only one that to me makes perfect sense. The Spirit of God is described in terms of a fire. Those, those pictures that you talked about this morning, the painting, the, the Bible uses the painting of a fire to describe the Holy Spirit. A fire already burning in the belly of a fire pot receives a sudden blast of wind and it flares up higher and hotter and brighter. It's not a new fire. It's not a second fire. It is the same original fire which God blows on to increase its heat and light. They were filled with the Spirit. In Scripture, the filling of the Spirit has two close connections. It is often preceded by prayer and often followed by speaking the word in ministry and witness. In Luke 11, the Lord Jesus Christ himself commanded us to pray and ask for the giving and the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2 at Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out after a time of prayer is mentioned. In Acts 4, the Spirit filled them all after they had prayed. In Acts 8, the Spirit poured out in Samaria after prayer. The Spirit also, as we know from Scripture, is an active participant in our prayer. In Ephesians 6, Paul commends us to be praying at all times in the Spirit. In Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our praying. In Ephesians 5, we're to be filled with the Spirit. God's presence in the early New Testament church was evidenced by the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit in each and in all of them. Brothers and sisters, that can, no, that must be us. God begins it at our conversion by sealing us with His Holy Spirit. It continues with our prayer for the increase of the Holy Spirit. But it also requires the removal, the putting off of sinful thinking, attitudes, and habits which hinder the influence of the Spirit of God. Take your Bibles. Pick up your Bible and turn over to Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Colossians 3, verses 8 to 10. Let's read together. Beginning of verse 8, Paul is writing and he says, But now... You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It begins with being sealed with the Spirit at conversion. It continues with, with pleading, sorry, for the increased influence of the Holy Spirit. 
It continues beyond that with the putting off of the ungodly carnal habits. It continues with putting on the new man, the fruit of the Spirit. Look down a little further. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Let's read there. It's not mine. I promise. <laughs> I have to admit, I thought it was for a second there. Never mind. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. The Bible says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." All of those attitudes and attributes and actions that Paul has commanded us to put them on. You know what they are? They're the fruit of the Spirit. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 5 and check it out. Go through every single one of them is mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So what that means is that the fruit of the Spirit are those attitudes and actions which we only with the help of the Holy Spirit must put them on. So in order for the Spirit of God to be in us and filling us and working through us in an unhindered way, we must put off those ungodly actions in the power and the strength of the Spirit of God, and we must put on these attitudes and attributes and actions in the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? There's even more. Take your Bibles, flip over a couple pages to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Word of God says, halfway through verse 13, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, and so on. Notice all those imperative commands before verse 19. Be at peace, admonish, encourage, help, be patient, rejoice, pray without ceasing, give thanks. All of those are commands that we are to enact and live in. And the failure to do those things, as the Spirit of God leads us, as it's appropriate, is one way in which we quench and hinder the Spirit of God. So we hinder the Spirit of God by keeping all those ungodly habits. We quench and hinder the Spirit of God by not putting on the fruit of the Spirit in the Spirit's power. And we can also quench and hinder the Spirit of God by failing to minister and act one toward another inside the body of Christ. 
Brothers and sisters, there are times when it's right and the Spirit lays it on our hearts to speak, to admonish. It's right when the Spirit lays it on our hearts to call up with a word of encouragement, to call up and rejoice with one another, to be patient. Why did he have to mention patience? (laughs) And there again, the Spirit of God's finger just dove into my chest. You're not very patient with people. That's true. But we can quench and hinder the Spirit of God. If you read the story of Acts and you look at that early church, what you see is a church that is full of the Spirit of God and each individual believer moving and acting, living and loving and worshiping together under the influence and the leading of the Spirit of God. And brothers and sisters, I know from my life, and maybe I'm the only guy in the room, that's possible, but how often do I hinder and quench the Spirit of God because I allow those carnal, ungodly habits to remain and I refuse to put on. I strive against it instead of strive to do it in the power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we've been sealed with the Spirit as they were. We're to be filled, everything under the ever-increasing influence of the Holy Spirit. It requires prayer pleading with God to do that work. It requires putting off, emptying ourselves of the old man. It requires putting on the fruit of the Spirit in His power. It requires obeying the Spirit's leading towards each other. But it requires, as Brian said, looking to Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4, read it, verse 1. He was a man who was led and lived under the influence of the Holy Spirit in his life. The God-man, but it's true, he was. And we look to him as, he's our example. We look to him and he said, follow me. He didn't just mean walk the same roads I walked. He meant live the way that I live. Devoted to prayer, filled with the Spirit. And everywhere he went, everything he said, he spoke with grace and truth. Those three things are in this passage. Prayer, filled with the Spirit, and living under grace. There's a driving force behind the other four things. We'll look at them in a second. And maybe you're like me, and maybe you grieve because you see so little of the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. Brother and sister, grieve over it before God. Go to God in prayer. Search your heart and your life in prayer, reading the Scriptures to allow God's Holy Spirit to show you where in your life you are hindering His influence. I promise you from experience, He will do it. I also promise you it will be hard because we don't like to let go of things that we're quite fond of. The reality is there is a war inside our hearts But we have been washed clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to put off that old man. We're to put on the new man. And that's how come they were living the way they were living in Acts. And brothers and sisters, I said it before, I'll say it again. There is no reason why the very same vital, vibrant life that lay lived as a church body cannot be ours also. The same Spirit of God that filled them fills us. The same Word of God that they had access to in the Old Testament and with the apostles among them, we have in the completed canon. 
And we have grace just as surely as they have grace. Let's move on. Don't despair. Don't despair. Whatever you do, if you grieve because you see not much influence in your life, don't despair over Cry out to God. And God in overwhelming kindness and gentleness will help you. God in immense favor will turn His face toward us and as a kind Father will reach down and take our hands and our lives in His own strong, powerful hand and He will help us. God's Spirit is omnipresent and available. We have unlimited, unrestrained access to God in prayer and we have the beautiful, wonderful, perfect example and illustration in the life of Christ. Look to Him and look to God in prayer. God designed the the church to be a mobile mission station, calling sinful, sin-broken, sin-scarred women and men to come and find grace and forgiveness, to be made new creatures in Christ, to be filled with the Spirit of Christ, to be transformed into Christ's disciples, to be devoted to prayer imitating the Lord Jesus, to live exercising and displaying great grace with each other, to love as Christ loved in selfless, sacrificial giving, which is far more than just our money. Dr. Luke's summary of the New Testament church here in Acts chapter 4, 31 to 37, is arguably the church at its highest point in the New Testament, yet still without any internal opposition, although as we see in verses 34 and beyond into the life of Ananias and Sapphira, it's coming really fast and hard. The devil is going to try and find anything he can do to tear apart this church. But this church that he's describing in these verses here is arguably the highest point of the church in the New Testament. Dr. Luke's summary is showing us that there speaking the word with boldness. There's a unity of heart and soul. The apostles' testimony with power is still being given. There is a selfless, sacrificial willingness to give. And those four things are the outworking of the three things that we're focusing on today. We've already mentioned the corporate, fervent, devoted to prayer, and the filling and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the third is God's great grace. Look at verse 33 in the last part of the verse. He says there, let's read the whole thing. He says, with great, great, sorry, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Grace is God's favor, his kindness, his patience toward us. The grace of God is his inexhaustible capacity to forgive and bless his people. In Exodus 34, the Bible describes God as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, the idea of overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness. Grace is all through the Bible. Grace was present in Eden's garden when God restrained himself from destroying Adam and Eve the instant they swallowed the first bite of that forbidden fruit. Grace was exercised in the call and the promise to Abraham of great blessing. Grace was involved in the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Grace was there in the giving of the law so that we would know what sin is, so that we would grasp something of God's holiness, so we would know our total inability to come to God. That's all grace. 
The law is an expression of God's grace toward us. Grace was what the prophets who promised the coming of Christ longed to look into and understand more fully. Grace is there in the Old Testament. But the New Testament plays the greatest symphony of God's grace to mankind. Grace saturates the New Testament story in Christ's coming, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His exaltation as the Son of the Most High. Grace is poured out alongside the Holy Spirit as the gospel is propelled forward to all the nations through the church. Grace is the kindness of God by which we are forgiven of sin. And that great verse in Ephesians 2 that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Grace is the kindness, the undeserved favor of God by which we're saved and in which we live and continue as a body of believers. The book of Acts is full of the grace of God. In Acts 6, Stephen was full of grace as he spoke. In Acts 11, Antioch Church was marked by God's grace. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are urging the Antioch Pisidian church to continue in the grace of God. In Acts 14 and 15, the church commended Paul and Barnabas to the grace of God in order to do God's work. And in Acts 20, Paul commended the believers to God and the word of His grace. We are not only saved by grace, brothers and sisters, we must continue to live, to love, to worship, and witness as Christ's believers in God's grace. Great grace was upon them all. The kindness and blessing of God's grace was the sweet smell overshadowing all that they did as individuals and His collective body. Those looking on from the outside may have said there's something different about them. And what it was, was the grace of God. The grace of God in which we function sets us free to love each other extravagantly, to treat one another with kindness, to look to the preferences of others over our own. The grace of God sets us free to live in complete selflessness. Why is the world system in thinking about government and organization and regulation so misfitted to the Christ church? Because everything of the world operates under the system and thinking of me first. But the church is to be the place where God first, others next, never mind me. It's grace. What set them free to sell their belongings and distribute the proceeds so that none had any need? It was grace. God's Holy Spirit influencing them to give in grace. What set them free to speak the word with boldness in the face of coming opposition and coming painful persecution? It was grace. It was God's Holy Spirit influencing them to display the grace of God to unbelievers through the message of the gospel. What set them free to continue was grace. It was great grace upon them all. God's immense grace is not only what we experience, it's what we are called to display toward one another. 
How are you doing so far under the spiritual health checkup? Are you partway through that doctor's visit? Whenever I go see the doctor, he always has this worried, running out of patience look on his face. He's about to tell me how badly I'm taking care of my health as he frowns and looks across his clipboard at me. Is that how you feel? Maybe you feel like I did, like I do, a little beat up. I was preparing this like I've been telling you. And I felt the Spirit of God laying some rather hard blows on my heart over those three things. Prayer. How much do I tolerate the sin of prayerlessness in my life? How about you? Are we as a people of God tolerating that sin because we've got all kinds of lists and reasons why we can't do it? We don't have time. It's other things. I've got sermons to prepare. I can't spend time praying right now. If you know how foolish that is, that statement is. And my goal isn't to beat up the church with a sermon. First of all, because I feel it in my own heart. Very much so. My goal is for all of us to stop and step back and see how we're doing. And allow the Spirit of God to minister to our lives, to minister grace. Because as I said when we started, these things aren't irreversible. It's not like going to a doctor and discovering you have a condition that you will live the rest of your life with. It's looking into God's Word and discovering that something isn't as good as it could be. And there's grace and there's help. There is God's Spirit available, longing to work in us, in cooperation with us. God's grace on us with an example in Christ that we might grow up. We might grow stronger in the things of God and live and work and love and function as a body of Christ filled with the Spirit of God under God's grace. How much... Do I, in my own spiritual life, tolerate the sinful habits that hinder the Spirit's work? And then I go to God in prayer and cry out for God's Spirit to work. All the while secretly holding on to my favorite little thing. And I wonder why I don't see God's work more in my life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe that's you too. Maybe there's some sin in your life that needs to be put off, some habit that's hindering the Spirit of God from working and speaking and influencing you in your life. I don't know what that is. But I'm fairly sure that if it's happening in your life, you already know what it is. I say that because I'm in the same boat. Great grace was upon them all. How often do I fail in acting, speeding, speaking, sorry, even writing emails with little grace? I love the fact that God was gracious with me, but how slow am I to be gracious with others? There is a verse in the New Testament that says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I'm absolutely convinced that applies to grace. God has displayed much grace to all of us, brothers and sisters. You're sitting here this morning in this church. One who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know the grace of God. 
how slow are we to show it to others? They were marked. The characteristic, the recognition of others looking at the church was great grace was upon them all. But you know what? Like I keep saying, it doesn't end with a great physician's bad report about how things are going. God's grace is available to forgive, to restore, and to renew. God's grace is available to be received and exercised by us. God's grace is available to love one another like Christ loved us. Under the Holy Spirit's influence, we must step out of our comfort zone and extend that grace that we have received. We must get on our faces and our knees and cry out to God for grace, to go and speak kind words, to give, to supply our brothers, sisters' needs, to quietly forgive the wrongs that we have received. Isn't it amazing how we hang on to a wrong that we feel and yet we expect everybody to forgive us so quickly for the dumb things that we do. And we hang on. No, that person, you don't know what he did. To, you don't know what she said. And we hold on with a grip of death. And yet grace says quietly forgive the wrongs that have been received. To go and seek forgiveness for wrongs and hurt that we have have inflicted. That renewal happens when the Spirit of God is submitted to and obeyed. It happens when we pray together and separately for each other. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Let's pray individually and together for God to work in us. Let's pray individually and together for God to greatly increase the influence of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. With much love and respect for our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about some of the things that you see associated with them. I'm talking about real, genuine filling of the Holy Spirit where sin is confessed when relationships are restored, when brother and sister minister the word of God in love and grace and kindness to one another to encourage and strengthen, as he said in 1 Thessalonians, to admonish and encourage and pray and rejoice, all those things we can do as we minister the word of God one to the other. Let's individually and corporately pray for God to greatly increase the influence of the Spirit of God in all of our lives. Let's pray for God's grace. Pray for His great grace to be upon us all. Let's strive together to grow in this grace. That we might be a people and a church that is living, active, moving, being used of God like they were, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. We've been called into something that's absolutely amazing. The world has never seen anywhere in any faith, religion, group, gathering, government, anything like the body of Christ. There's something tragically wrong when we become so like the world that we've been called out of. 
And brothers and sisters, it can happen in a modern hip church just as fast as it can happen in a conservative traditional church. Is the Spirit of God active amongst us? Are we a people devoted to prayer? Are we living under God's grace? May God help us to think and consider individually, my life, individually, your lives, but also as a corporate body together. Let's pray. We'll dispense with the last song this morning. Let's just pray together. We'll be done. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks again for tremendous grace. We thank you again, Lord, for that reminder of your love for us. And Father, we know that you love your people. You loved us with a love that is beyond our comprehension and understanding. You loved us in this way. You gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Father, it's your desire that we be like the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in grace, to be filled with the Spirit, to be a people devoted to prayer, to be people speaking the word with boldness, to be a people driven by the love of God, to selflessly, sacrificially sacrificially give to one another. Father, we pray that you would do a great work in this church. We cry out to you, O God, for the leadership of this church, that we would be men who are devoted to prayer. We would be men who are living under God's grace, exercising grace as much as we have received it. We pray also, O God, for the whole church, the whole corporate body, all of us, Lord, that we would be a people absolutely devoted to the Lord in prayer, Prayer would be as vital to us as breathing is. To be like the Lord Jesus Christ who early in the morning and late at night and sometimes all through the night, he prayed, he communed with you. In his darkest hour, his first step was to go to the garden and to fall on his face and cry out to you. Father, may we be a people like that, devoted to prayer. Father, may we be a people filled with the Spirit of God, bearing the fruit, the evidence of the Spirit in our lives, putting off those things that hinder His influence, that we might reflect and display Your grace. We might reflect and display the Lord Jesus Christ to a world around us. That people might know that we have been with Jesus. Father, we ask You for a great work. And Father, I can't speak for every other person in the room, but I can speak for myself when I say, Father, forgive me for the times that grace has been slow in being displayed. Forgive me for the times that I've hindered the work of the Spirit in my life. I have been slow to pray and quick to find other things to do. Father, change us. Lord, we plead with you for these things. We give you thanks again, O God, for a sweet memory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you again for that great promise of the Scriptures 
that you began the work and you are going to finish it in each and every one of us. Father, we ask you for help. We give you thanks again, O oh God, for our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.